Welcome back to We Heart Therapy. This is a special series EFT Talk, and I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm so excited today. We have Helena Iguabique. She's one of the founding members of the British EFT Center. She's one of our EFT trainers in the UK. She's fabulous. She's done so much to help EFT in the UK and London. And that's where she's based. And she's a relationship counselor there. And she's agreed to come on today and join us on our show. And we're going to talk today about seating attachment. So welcome, Helena. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Annabelle. It's exciting. It's an honor to actually talk a bit about this research I did. Um, Excellent. So you've yeah. done research on, on seating attachment, actually. Yeah, I mean, it all started with a video, a YouTube, a free YouTube video in 2016, where I just talked a bit about seating attachment, because this is an intervention that I just absolutely love. And there's not much written about it in the EFT books. So I just did a video and then there was a huge discussion about was it accurate, the video? Is that really seeding attachment? Because in the EFT community, we tend to think about seeding attachment as something that happens mainly in stage two. Mm. So, mm. so that our, our folks know what it is that we're talking about right here was we're saying seeding attachment. Can you give them maybe a brief definition or an overview of what exactly we mean when we say seeding attachment? Yes, I think that's a very good point, right? Because there isn't that even like a really definite definition in the books, right? That was one of the things I was trying to get hold of. So when you think about seeding an attachment is a stance as well as an intervention. So when you think about it as an intervention, it's any time you're helping a couple imagine the possibility of sharing their more vulnerable emotions with their partner and asking for what they need to feel safe and securely connected. So that's what the intervention is. It's sort of an imaginary sharing whenever you're doing that. That's actually seeding attachment. But, but on a broader level, it's a stance, is that you're actually seeing attachment, literally that you're seeing that whatever is happening in front of you is about attachment. And so you're I, mm. that um, seeding attachment is kind of multifaceted, right? And so, mm. I mean, when you said originally it was kind of thought of for stage two, because mm. the, the bit that you talked about, about sharing their vulnerabilities and with each other, sharing in that moment is something that we see more predominantly in stage two, but, I love this idea of a stance that it's not only that part, but it's also this stance, like this, this lens that we see our couples through that it's about mm -hmm. that we're seeing that what's in front of us is about attachment. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. Because I don't know if you notice this, but when people first come into EFT, you can almost see when the light bulb goes on and they kind of go, ah, now I see it everywhere. I saw a couple talking and I thought, that's an attachment. I saw a, a, an advertisement and I thought, that's attachment. It's when you suddenly begin to realize that attachment is really about that longing for connection and that fear of losing that connection. And it's sort of when it clicks. And when you start to look at the couple's relationship through that lens, everything really changes. Until then, it's almost like you're watching 
a film, but you don't have the subtext. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to kind of peel that back a little bit and mm -hmm. go into this because it's, you know, it's connected to attachment theory and attachment science. So I want to maybe talk about how we know it's all about attachment. And because a lot of times I think therapists struggle around the content issues. And when couples get stuck, they see, well, that's not, you know, when they're arguing about the dishwasher or this spouse just has work things that they don't want to talk about. That's not, you know, relationship related or that's not attachment related. How do we know as the therapist, because I know that we're trying to help the couple, we're trying to make this explicit for the couple as well, but how do we know as the therapist going in that it really is all about attachment? Well, I mean, it's all the work that Bowlby has done, right? All the extensive studies that have been done in a Mary Ainsworth, right? That this is a wired in survival mechanism. You know, you can't fight your biology. It's the way we are wired that... There is this innate, as far as you're mammalian, you've got this mammalian brain, it's wired in. And that this, our survival depends on it. I mean, no human baby would survive if there wasn't a caregiver that cared about them, that was looking out for them, right? Our survival depends on it. And I think what we haven't really wrapped our head around is that this need is wired in from the cradle to the grave. You don't outgrow it at seven. Yeah. We all need, we need each other from the cradle to the grave. Right. I think, I think this is where people, and, and I, again, I've said this in, in earlier videos too, is I think our master's programs or graduate schools, when they mm. cover attachment, don't do it justice. And they mm. don't really people know, you know, what all this means, right? The, the biology, as you said, you know, that, you know, when, when Sue and the trainers talk about the mammalian brain, they're talking about the oldest part of the brain, that attachment is wired into the survival mechanisms of the brain, just like hunger. Yeah. And, and often, yeah. I'll use this metaphor for couples, they'll say, you know, when you're really hungry mm. and growling, do you let yourself seek food? And they're like, well, yeah, I said, well, that's so interesting, right? You don't tell yourself that you can't You don't say, you know what? You've had to, don't get food. Ignore your tummy. Just go ahead and starve, right? But yet, when we crave attachment, what do we do? Oh, you're being needy. You're being clingy, right? We give all these pathological words to tell people that that craving for connection is wrong somehow. And we do such an injustice, right? Because it is hardwired into us. And... Mm. Attachment science tells us that that our attachment frame, right, which is set by our growing up experiences, right, our caregivers, our first relationship we have with any other human being in the world, and that serves as a blueprint or a template for our relationship with the rest of the world. And mm. so that relationship is bad or neglectful or inconsistent. It can have this tremendous impact on us and not, not even realizing because it's impacting the way those neural pathways are actually formed. Mm, and our whole nervous system, right? Yeah, yeah. And it impacts the way that we interact with the world because we are in relationship with the human race. Mm. So how we see others, whether or not we are 
kind of skeptical about them and distrustful and maybe see them as having a hidden agenda mm -hmm. or give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, if we're more likely to say, okay, well, they haven't hurt me, so I'm not, I don't have any reason to mistrust them, right? Whether or not you trust or distrust others, but also impacts how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves as lovable, you know, whether or not through other people's eyes, we think other people see us as lovable. And so obviously impacts through our nervous system, how we behave. So it's all in that yeah. trifecta. Have you noticed the sound fades in and out or is it just mine? Is it my end? I don't know. I hear you pretty good. I hope oh. everyone hear me pretty good. <laughs> okay, because you sort of fade in and out. I hope it's not, um, I hope yeah. it's just my end. Now what you said there is so important because you know you're really talking about it's like attachment is widening, we need each other, and it can be pathologized as if you're being needy. What we're really talking about is effective or ineffective dependency. Whether you can send a clear signal to your partner, calling out for your need for comfort, for soothing, for safety, or whether the behavior, the way in which you call out, actually has the opposite impact. Right? let ourselves call out for soothing and comfort. Whether we even have an image, you know, like you said, the view of others, whether you even see others as even the possibility of calling out. And that's one of the things that really fascinated me about seeding attachment, because what used to happen is all the, tra the trainers would come to London to teach, right? And they would do the live sessions. And I would think, they're doing something different that I don't really quite do. And I don't know what it is they're doing, but it seems to be like magic. Something happens in the room and I can't put my finger on it, but it just feels like magic. And eventually I began to understand their seeding attachment, their growing attachment, their planting the possibility of attachment. And the thing about it is, you know, to really seed attachment, plant attachment, we're really talking about planting secure attachment, secure dependency, right? Mm -hmm. If you haven't really had that experience, if you haven't seen it modeled with your partner or with your parents, it, so for a lot of people, when you see, they just say, when you see the possibility of sharing, can you imagine ter ever turning to her and saying, actually, when you speak to me in that tone, I get really anxious. Like, it would never even cross my mind. Yeah. Right? They haven't seen it done. They haven't experienced it. And I'm not just talking about clients. I'm, talk I'm talking about therapists as well, right? We love this model, but we, we don't necessarily have those experiences ourselves, right? right. And what I was seeing the trainers doing was seeding attachment, painting this image that whets the couple's appetite. It's almost like, one of the ways we deal with our needs for attachment not being met is we turn off the longing. Makes sense, right? Yes, and I see this come up with a lot of, um, in, I'm just trying to fix my microphone, hopefully <laughs> a bit better. Um, yeah. I see that a lot with, with therapists when they see individual clients too, or they're seeing one half of the couple is to try mm -hmm. to, they end up trying to turn off that attachment thing, right? Like if you're, mm -hmm you're experiencing anxiety at work, they don't say, have you thought about turning to your partner and sharing those anxieties with them and asking them for comfort? Mm -hmm. oh, you just need to find a way to deal with it on your own, right? That's and right, so, solve it. 
Yeah. So I like what you said too about if they haven't had a template, you know, mm -hmm. it, like you just said about, could you imagine telling your partner when you talk to me in that tone, I get quite anxious, but also mm -hmm. too, right? Where it would be, you know, when you don't feel so good about yourself, could mm -hmm. you to your partner and sharing that vulnerability and ask, asking them for help, asking them to love you in this place to give yeah. you, Oh no, like, no, it's, it's got nothing to do with them. I just, I'm going to deal with it on my own. Right. I mean, and, if you have a more avoidant style, that would be your strategy, right? You wouldn't even, you learned, you know, life taught you not to turn to others for comfort and soothing. If you have an anxious attachment, then your negative view of self might come up. Oh, no, this would happen. I'll be too much. He might see me as needy. He might see me as demanding. He would never want to do that. She would never want to do that. So that's another way the beauty of seeding attachment is in seeding that longing, it also evokes the blocks, the, you know, the fears that get in the way of reaching to the partners. And then you can work through that block. Yes. So, you know, you're bringing up something very important, Helena. What, because this is what I notice when I get to stage two, and I've, I've, had, I've started to teach my supervisees is, and mm -hmm. my clients, the absence of conflict doesn't necessarily mean the presence of connection. I right? love the way you put that. <laughs> the absence of conflict does not necessarily mean the presence yeah. of connection that's right yeah they may know how to interrupt the cycle now but do they know how to reach for each other do they know how to ask for comfort do they know why reaching for comfort would be beneficial to them or to their relationship and i think along the lines of seating attachment this is something else that therapists don't not all therapists quite understand either right is well if we why not teach them to self-soothe why should we have them relationally soothe? And people can relationally soothe by themselves, right? We know that's a part of attachment is that, mm -hmm. like, for example, they had a firefighter once who, you know, when he had a really tough call mm -hmm. and he had all these anxiety because he just, you know, maybe went through a burning building or rescued somebody from a car, he would say, about his wife and his baby and that would help to calm down right that's relationally soothing by yourself right yeah. but there's also very good biological neurological reason for co-regulation right mm -hmm. for really soothing can you speak to that helena well again it's how our brain is wired to co-regulate right yeah. you see that with babies and mothers right and again, it's the same thing. We are wired, our brain is wired to co-regulate with others, right? And it's the, in fact, the resources it takes to soothe oneself, the amount of resources it takes, you know, it's exhausting. You can't keep it up for long. Yeah, you're so right, Helena. What, what we've learned from neuroscience you know, and, it's, and we're not saying that people can't self-soothe. We're saying there's a that they can get the maximum benefit of self-soothing or relationally soothing co-regulation mm -hmm. because we know that when we're stressed, when mm -hmm. we are 
distress, whether that's relational or any of the other survival instincts that our body releases cortisol, which is a stress. Mm. It releases adrenaline, right? And all of these mobilize your body into fight or flight to help you deal with whatever's at hand, right? But when you get co-regulation, right, different chemicals get released, right? You get oxytocin. There's actually another hormone, and I can't remember the name of it. Sorry. Serotonin? Yeah, I know you can get dopamine and serotonin as well. Mm. There's another one that I can't remember the name, and it was quite interesting read about it because it was a hormone I wasn't familiar with but Mm. to actually get that secure connection it releases the serotonin the dopamine the oxytocin which become pain blockers they help counteract you know when people are pain demands to be felt it demands to get out so if we're self-soothing and we don't have an outlet it's going down it's stressing our hormones our Mm. heart our liver you know our physical body our gut right? Mm -hmm. We might just guts or whatever. So it's when you get that co-regulation, it's actually literally good for your heart, right? Because you literally, yeah, you don't have as much of the cortisol and the adrenaline going through your body. You get the oxytocin, the serotonin, all these things that help you feel Mm -hmm. good, that make your body more resilient and not as taxed so that you can go on another day and fight another battle. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's exactly what we're trying to do then with couples. You know, there's the fight and flight response and we're trying to see the third option, which is, you know, a secure connection, a safe reach. Mm-hmm. And we trust that this longing is wired in. And even if couples have had experiences that have caused them to turn it off, even a burnt out pursuer, you know, someone that's given up on the connection, when we really start to evoke those longings, really start planting an image of what that looks like and using their own words. That's another key thing, right? Using people's own images, pictures, memories of secure connection, right? If someone says, you know, like I don't have my teammate, that's their image of connection. Yeah. Right. So once we start painting that picture, what actually happens, and this is the beauty of seeding attachment, once you really start priming the pump with these images, with these longings, right, people have, it's almost like you're awakening the system. Right. It's almost like you're awakening the attachment system. And I just think it's so, it's Right. You can either just work with the fear. And what happens is if you just work with the fear, it's great, but you can actually cement people in their fear. It's priming the longings, the image of having their needs met, the image of those missed experiences they didn't have that makes it worth the risk to reach. Yeah. Because right? we know we're going to get something beautiful out of it. Yeah. And so it's almost like, you know, you're trying to privilege attachment. When you're seeding attachment, you're trying to privilege the longings. Yes, you're exploring the fears. Yes, you're walking around in the fears. But all the time you're holding up that image of the need being met. Yeah. And you're listening. It's not the same as seeding attachment. Well, you know, people could go and read a book about secure attachment, couldn't they? Mm-hmm. And things, and it wouldn't, you know, yes, you would have a cognitive understanding, but it's 
Seeding attachment is a very emotionally charged intervention because really you're conjecturing around the fears that block connection. It's hard to imagine, you know, that you could turn to him and he would really be there for you, that he would really see you, hear you. And as you're talking about that, all the things that get in the way of that start to come to the surface and you're working with it and you're still holding this image. And I think that's what I noticed was so powerful watching the trainers. And, and after a while I realized, oh, they're seeding attachment. They're saying things like you could never turn to him. It's hard to imagine, you know, you don't, they're saying the things, they're validating what doesn't happen while still seeding the possibility of what could happen. You would never turn to him in those moments and say, and then they would say the things that are like what secure attachment was. Um, I am lost. I'm confused. I feel like I'm failing you. I need your support. And as you're saying that, it's, touch, it's hitting the spot. It's touching those places inside and you can work with it. Yeah. And for lots of people who haven't had those experiences, it's amazing to actually begin to open up this you know, the attachment channel, because that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah, I love this. This is so beautiful. You're really planting these seeds to help them bloom, right? And that mm. attachment, right? And you're planting the seed that this is a possibility and we're going to keep feeding and watering that seed until eventually it's going to start blooming. And that blooming is going to be this connection, this secure connection between the two of you, right? And Absolutely. I think one of the things you're saying is one of the most basic ways that we start with that is in stage one, where we let mm -hmm. them reason why these things are happening is because of your connection, because your relationship to your person is so important to you. That's why you get so angry. That's why you shut down because you actually care. It's about the relationship. And you cannot emphasize that enough in stage one because when couples come in and they're disconnected in a negative cycle, they're not in touch with those longings as much. They're more in touch with the, the reactive emotions, the anger, the frustration, the, you know, the anxiety. And you're saying, hey, you're shining that lens on it. Yes, all these reactive responses are happening because this relationship matters, because you matter to each other. You know, it's so obvious to us when we're looking through the attachment lens, but it's not obvious to the couple living in that negative cycle. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the ways seeding attachment is so important in stage one, because if we're not bringing in those lens, well, they're just going to conclude naturally that, the, you know, the relationship is the problem, the partner is the problem, not that the problem is happening, this disconnection is happening because they do matter so much to each other, right? That constant succeeding attachment is a lot of, in stage one, reframing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Step four, right? That reframing yeah. in terms of the attachment, fears and longings. Basically, and I always thought step four should really be like step 2A, step 3A, <laughs> because mm -hmm. Everything right, these moves happen because you're so important. You feel sad because your partner is so important, you feel angry because your partner is so important. You know, it always because we know that the opposite of love is not hate, it's detachment, right? And <laughs> attaching, or even if they're trying, they're trying because something hurts, because it's painful, 
because mm -hmm. there's and it's it's too painful to not be able to get it right at the end of the day all of these moves come back to somebody caring right exactly I say th things to couples and of and you know what let's say I was talking about you Annabelle Arsena and Annabelle you know I, I really get that you're not bringing this up because you want to beat John on the head with it you're bringing it up because he matters you're trying to get restore the connection between you mm -hmm. oh yeah and for the person listening it's like oh okay really right yeah so we're constantly one of the key elements of seed and attachment is that you're constantly reframing as attachment which we say is you know the you know step four we're reframing as attachment significance you know all the reactive emotions everything we're seeing happen in front of us we're trying to make sense of it through attachment. And at the same time, the next move is we're constantly priming the longings, right? Because in stage one, you're not going to necessarily say, can you turn to Paul and ask for this or ask for that or share this for that? But you're actually just priming the longings. You're more or less saying, okay, this is where we're going. This is what we're trying to get to. You both want to feel important to each other. That's priming attachment. You both want this common agenda. You both want to feel significant. You both want to feel safe. You're constantly priming the longing, the place that we're trying to get to. And in stage one, you're not asking them to do anything with it. You're just listening acutely for what are their own images of attachment? What are their own phrases of attachment? So if somebody calls somebody their sweetheart, calls their partner sweetheart, when I'm talking about attachment between them, I'll be using that phrase, you know, when your sweetheart, when it feels like you're losing your connection with your sweetheart, of course you get scared. That's a way of priming. I'm using their own words and phrases. Um, sometimes people will say things like, um, I haven't got, he, he or she hasn't got my back. I then hear, oh, your image of attachment is someone who's got your back. To feel like he's got your back, to feel like she's got your back. I'm not asking them to do anything with it, but I'm priming, I'm seeding all the time. Yeah, this idea that, be, that what they're doing right now, that this place they get stuck has everything to do with about why their partner is so important. That's right. So it's always priming that longing and what and making it quite specific to what they the images and words that they use. Even if they swear up and down that they don't have a longing, right? Because they're trying to turn it off, right? But they're they got into a relationship for a reason, right? They're yeah. in company for a reason instead of divorce court, right? Yeah. So you <laughs> right ah and that's another thing you're reminding me of one of the things that seeding attachment really helps me do is reframe criticisms complaints into longings so as i'm listening to the complaint he's never there you really want him there i don't matter you want to feel like you matter you want to be important to him right so one of the things seeding attachment does for me as particular is hear the longing embedded in the criticism of the complaint because if not you're just reflecting back but it does not evoke anything right i want to know where i stand i never know where i stand and i go you want to know where you stand 
Right. That has a whole different feel from reflecting back as you hear it. So always there's a longing embedded in a criticism and a complaint. And when I'm listening through this lens, I'm always catching the, the attachment longing in the, in, the, in the criticism. Yeah. I found that, that when we can get really good at this, mm -hmm. when you embed that in the reflections as you so beautifully just articulated, you find that, that, that people in session feel a lot more understood and it happens a lot faster. So they yeah. don't feel that they don't have that need to share this long story version of their pain because it's like you just capture the heart, the essence of it immediately. Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you see their face change. It's like, yeah, yeah, I just wanted somebody to get it. I mean, I was just supervising someone today and um, I, I've sent all my supervisees, my six themes of, you know, seed and secure attachment. And... She was like, the, the session was getting really heated. And then she started seeding. And you know, the emotional temperature just dropped. Because she started framing it as a longing. Framing the complaints, the protests as a longing. I'm not important. You want to feel like you're important. You want to feel like you matter. It's so different from saying you don't feel like you matter in this relationship. You want to matter. You long to matter. Yeah. That has a whole... <laughs> for yeah. the partner hears it right because the way that they share it in the cycle can feel more like a sting or a poke or a jab and you're reframing it in that beautiful way and it's oh well, that sounds different <laughs> yeah and you're not far from the experience because the thing we want to do is we want to be close to the experience right if we're too far ahead we lose them right so we want to just be as close as we can to the experience and that's why it has to be so specific. You're listening so closely to what is the, what's the complaint? Okay, then you switch it around. What's the criticism? Then you switch it around. I can never please her. You want to please her. You want to get it right. Yes? So that's kind of like what we're trying to do all the time. We're trying to catch the attachment and grow it. Yeah. And I'll say from experience, when I was learning EFT, I had a lot of couples that felt like we could get to stage two, but it wouldn't hold. They would backslide into stage one and I couldn't get firmly hold and I couldn't figure out what it was that I was missing. And at the uh -huh. time, I didn't know step four well enough that I wasn't uh -huh. in the attachment frame. And that seems to be like the real adhesive, right? Because again, attachment is, is that, that glue, that, that Velcro, right? That sticks us together. Mm -hmm. As I got a lot better at that step four, I found that my stage one work would hold a lot, a lot better. And that couple wouldn't backslide. And also it's the good, it's a good segue into stage two, because once you start to, once couples get their cycle, once couples have a sense of what they do and how it impacts their partner and they're in touch with their vulnerable feelings, then we're sort of getting ready to move into stage two. And how do we get there? We get there by beginning to imagine the possibility of sharing those deep vulnerabilities and fears. And in just that imaginary sharing, 
you get, you, the minute you start to imagine the possibility of asking or the possibility of sharing something really vulnerable related to fears, related to self or other, what actually happens is, boom, you're dealing with relational fears, which is how you then ease into stage two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I often, so one of the ways, so I have a lot of therapists kind of come across this, I guess, dilemma where, you know, in stage two, you know, you have the pursuer who wants their withdrawing partner to open up and share more of their inner world. And they're not necessarily saying, I need you to talk warm and fuzzy to me all the time. They're saying, I just want to know who you are as a person, what goes on inside of you, what you think about, what drives you, what motivates you. And a lot of withdrawing partners say, well, you know, maybe what motivates me or what drives me has to do with work or whatever, but that's got nothing to do with you. Why would you want to know about that? Right. They just, they don't see it as important or, or important to the relationship and they don't share. And so, you know, that can kind of generate part of the cycle, right? Is this pursuer constantly wanting to be a part of their partner's world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to let them know if, if sharing about your day, sharing about your stresses, your inner stresses, even if it's got to do with work, right, can help your wife or your partner feel connected to you, feel like, you know, they know you more intimately and that builds a stronger connection, then it is a relational thing right Mm -hmm. your partner doesn't have to be a part of your problem in order to be a part of the solution right (laughs) Right. in your corner they want to be that safe place where you can go as you know again the safe haven the haven from the storm so if the storm is at work they want to be that person in your corner and, and encouraging you and loving you and you know they don't realize even in those small ways what what feels small to them can actually be profoundly big and important for their relationship do you know i'm so sorry annabelle uh-huh. somebody's ringing my doorbell and it's really interfering with the sound here can i just i'm so sorry do you nope. pause can you pause or something because i just need because it's so loud quick <laughs> we're taking pause for a second yeah we can resume yeah all right so we're back after a quick pause so Mm -hmm. we were talking about the stage two about how you know withdrawing partners just sharing their inner self how that helps the pursuer feel like they're sharing an intimate connection with them even though maybe Mm -hmm. what there isn't relationship related per se but it's related to them as a human being and it helps be like oh i know who you are and which feels less mysterious which feels safer because it's more predictable. So again, it's, you know, helping them build that deeper connection and connecting the dots that these things actually can feed their connection. And that's another beautiful place where seeding attachment comes in because for instance, the withdrawing partner often needs an invitation to share, mm-hmm. right? It feels often to withdrawing partner, like, why would I share that with you? Well, like, it feels like an imposition, the idea that, sharing my inner world with you soothes you comforts you connects you to me that's a foreign concept and that brings me to another element that i found out in seeing attachment which is you become much more aware of oh this is foreign territory this is foreign attachment territory for this person the idea that sharing could be something good could be beneficial 
that my presence, me just listening to my partner means the world, that I don't have to solve it, right? Mm -hmm. I, many times when you're actually, when you're listening through this lens, you suddenly become aware, ah, the reason this isn't happening, this, the reason this secure connection isn't happening isn't because this person is withholding it. It's literally like foreign attachment the territory they don't even see it they don't see that possibility so again we are creating a corrective emotional experience for the relationship whereby it's like oh this is it i remember you know sometimes a withdrawal will say you mean when they do it in session and i say this is it this is so helpful this is this is exactly what we're trying to do. This is it. They're like, this is it? You mean? It's not me? right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, it's like, what? This is, you can just see the foreign, this is so foreign. This is just like, whoa, you mean this is it? I, I just have to tell her that I don't know what to do in those moments when she's overwhelmed. And that's the solution. They go off looking for solutions, right? They don't see presence. That these emotional solutions are like really complex or complicated. You know, like, oh, you need me to cry. And, and that's just not me. So I'm never going to be able to give you what you need. And we teach them like, it's actually not that complicated. And yes, you can do it. And you're doing it right here. <laughs> and that's the key thing. Like one of the moves is constantly because seeding attachment, well, seeding, right? I-N-G is something you're constantly growing the seed. You're constantly creating these experiences. Well, we use the EFT tango, right? But you're constantly creating these moments of connection where people are sharing and you're processing the connection. And that that is, you're constantly growing attachment by having these moments. Elena, it's like you're saying, we're kind of teaching our clients how to garden, how to cultivate yeah. their own, in their own garden. Right. And we start by planting the seeds and showing them how to grow it, how to nurture it. Mm. Those seeds. And we're teaching them how to do that for themselves. Right. That they can start planting their own seeds to let their partner know, you know, in stage one, this move, this thing that I'm doing right here, I'm protesting. I'm so angry because I want you to come close to me. I need you to be close mm. to me. Stage two. They have the tools to say, I need you right here, right now. Can you please love me in this place? And, mm. you know, because it is constant gardening, right? It's not a, like you plant a rose and, it, and you're done. You feed it once and it, it lasts forever, right? You have to constantly water and feed it and tend to it. And so we let them know, like, these are the moves. This is how you're tending to your relationship right here, right now. And you're feeding it and you're giving it that light and that, that nurturing and it's starting to grow. And so then they can be in charge of their own garden by the time they're done. I think you've put it so well, you know, we're teaching them how to take care of their own garden. Like every time we help them have a moment of connection, of sharing, of vulnerability, of re, because it's not enough for one person to be vulnerable. The other person has to be attuned and to hear it and to receive it and to respond to it. And any time that, that happens in session and we catch it and we hold up the torch and we help them see it, we're growing the seed of attachment. Because that is attachment. Attachment is vulnerability met with attunement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and helping them have those safe experiences there to let them know that they can do this, that they are capable, right? That it's not rocket science that only rocket scientists can perform. And, you know, (laughs) can we really do this? Does this really exist? Yeah, it does exist. And I'm going to teach you how you can have that for yourself with your partner. You know, all those missed experiences, all those experiences that people didn't have growing up, right? To have it in the session with their partner. This, the, the, the missed experience of being able to have someone be there, hear you, see you, understand you, accept you, right? That's what seeding attachment is all about. And we, as EFT therapists, we know, we really know and believe that this is what, you know, this is the healing. This is The healing is in the conversation, right? And so that's what seeding attachment is. It's about always expanding if you like the territory mm-hmm. always expanding the attachment territory always helping them see what's possible or imagine what's possible mm-hmm. and another way we do it that's so helpful is we notice what's happening or not happening mm-hmm. and we plant the possibility of it, what could happen instead yeah so it's like you know you can't imagine doing this. You never go to your partner. You don't know how to do this. It's hard to imagine. But every time you say it, you validate what is happening or not happening, you're seeding the possibility of what could happen. And I mean, that sounds complicated, but it's as simple as you don't know how to go to her and say, I'm lost. I don't really know what you want from me. I'm confused. But I'm validating with you. Sorry? But I know that I want to be here with you. Exactly. And you're just saying, this is where you are. I mean, that's what I love about it. The beauty of it is you're validating exactly where they are. You don't know how to do this, but you're, in other words, implying the poss- that it could be done. You're implying the possibility of it. So you're, never- constantly- mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, you're constantly stretching poss- the possibility of what could happen of what is possible without forcing them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you're awakening the part of them that wants to do it. And when you remind them that they're doing this because they want this connection, then it, it doesn't feel like force. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel forced because you're actually harnessing the power of attachment. You're plugging into that channel that it's there. You just have to tune into the right channel. Yeah. I'll never forget like, in Las Vegas, there's um, quite a community of um, autistic children and their families. And I see a lot of the parents mm-hmm. and with parenting um, with a child that has autism. And I have, you know, some withdrawal spouses and, you know, they talk about how they're able to show up for their autistic child and be that safe place. Mm-hmm. And, but what's interesting is you talk about why can I do it for my child, but I can't do that for my spouse. Yeah. Interesting question. Right. And, you know, kind of thinking, Oh, my partner doesn't need me. Right. Or never seeing themselves as a safe place that somebody would be able to find safety with them when they've had a bunch of traumatizing attachment experiences. Mm-hmm. That way that you've never seen yourself as a safe place you've never imagined that you could be a safe safe space for your partner and they're like 
oh, you're right, yeah. And you just see their heart just like growing really big right there, right in front of your eyes. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I love that. So that's it, because you're basically giving them an image, a different view of self, right? If you don't see yourself as, you know, that important, that lovable, that special, that important, the idea, you're seeding in that, the idea that you are that person. You could be that person. Yeah. It's like sometimes parents struggle. They know like, oh, I, I can identify my child needs me because they're special needs. And, and mm -hmm. so that's all right. I know that they depend on me, but they don't see the other adults as mm -hmm. that they could possibly be a resource to them. It's such an interesting dynamic that they experience. So you're seeding the possibility that they could be a resource, that they are a resource, and that their partner is a resource, right? And then all the blocks, let's be realistic, all the blocks to yes. that, all the ways the cycle has gotten in the way of that happening immediately comes up. But we are constantly holding up that attachment picture. Yeah. That's the thing. So what happens is the fear blocks and the attachment longing helps you reach right through. Yeah. The fear, it makes it worth it. If not, the fear just kind of like cements your feet to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a beautiful, beautiful, you know, concept and practice that EFT is, is grabbed onto is the seating attachment, you know, and I found mm -hmm. that it does make a huge difference in, in the work in couples really retaining the information and like I said, you know, back in the day before I really understood, I wasn't connecting their moves like, you know, oh, you know, you're sad because your partner's important. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't get that before. I was just kind of leaving it out there and it just wasn't. So the seating attachment that you're, that we're talking about today really does make a huge, huge difference to couples really understanding like, oh, this is why I do what I do, or this is why my partner does what they do. And it's not because I'm a terrible person or they don't want me, right? Because in stage one, when pursuer sees which are leaving or avoiding or shutting down, it's hard to imagine that they're shutting down because I'm important, because you love me. That's how it is about us. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, again, it comes back to, you know, when um, Brent Bradley, when he did that study on Lamer. Uh, blamer softening, which we now call pursuer softening, right? But when he did the study on blamer softening, that was one of the first elements he found out that happens in all successful blame, uh, softening events is that the therapist begins this imaginary sharing because couples don't go there for a good reason. They go there. They don't go there for a good reason. They, everything tells them, either their attachment history or this particular current relationship history tells them it's not safe to share. It's not okay to ask. It's not safe to ask. So they're not going to naturally go there. And that's and, and so when you see the attachment, you're more likely to get to the withdrawal engagement. You're more likely to get to the pursuer softening. And we know that in all, you know, almost all successful softening events, seeding attachment has happened. It's the way in, right? And so it always starts with an imagining of some sort. You could never. It's hard to imagine. 
you don't usually do this. You, it's, you know, can you imagine doing this? I would like you to imagine the possibility of what, and what's that like? What happens when I say this? What comes up for you when I say this? So when you really want to start building the bridge between stage one and stage two, and really taking them deep, you start conjecturing around the thing that's not happening, which is the safe reach, the secure sharing of deeper vulnerabilities, right? In stage three, so we've talked about how it happens in stage one. We're now talking about how it happens in stage two. In stage three, the couples themselves paint the picture for you of their future love story. You get them to paint the picture. You're no longer seeding it. They're actually the ones, you know, like the garden is in full bloom. And yes. you're helping them paint like, you know, so how, what are you going to do with this garden? Yeah. Right. Up until then, you've been building this secure attachment image. But now you're giving them sufficient experiences in session that, you know, through the EFT tango of taking them through this whole process of opening up and being vulnerable and sharing. Now they're in a place to decide what flowers are going to grow in their garden. That's right. And they feel secure enough to experiment right that oh i can or i can plant that and i've got my partner by my side and you know mm -hmm. i don't feel afraid to take a risk or to get lost or to not know all the answers mm -hmm. you know have that secure connection now yeah and i just think the key thing the main thing is to know that um when it comes to seeding it's seed 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 is by repetition, right? Just because you don't notice something happening, the wall is still getting more and more porous as you're seeding. You know, something is softening, something is melting. Just because you don't get immediate result doesn't mean that you don't keep running the seed or you don't keep planting the seed because it takes time for it to grow. Just like if you put a seed in the ground, you don't expect it to sprout immediately, right? That's right. And I say that it very fake to some of my clients and my <laughs> Yes. So that's sort of, you know, you know, the six elements, really, if we were to summarize is just to reframe as attachment, to look at it through the lens of attachment, to constantly be priming the attachment longings. And as you begin to kind of get to the end of stage one, to start priming vulnerability and reaching from a vulnerable place. So priming vulnerability and reaching and beginning to imagine the possibility of that secure connection and really creating these very emotionally loaded images of secure connection. The sort that tugs at your heart, the sort that melts your heart, that he would come and sit next to you in those moments and put his arms around you and just hold you and you could rest your head against his shoulder and just really feel his comfort and really know he's there. So you know you're really imagining this. It's quite emotionally loaded. It's tugging at the heartstrings. That's yeah. the sort of thing you're trying to do at that stage. And we, one of the biggest things I've really played with, I've got from seeding the research, was really seeding imagery and scenarios. What I did here was a scenario. It was like a, a little part of a play to imagine that he would come and sit next to you, that he put his hand. It's like you're painting a whole scene, a scenario. And as we know, the brain cannot tell the difference between something that's vividly imagined and something that's real. So if you really vividly paint that image, you build the same feelings, you open up the same channels. So really play with imagery. And then, like we said, constantly growing the seed, constantly doing the tango, constantly creating those moments of connection. 
that's kind of what really helps to see the attachment. So it's as much a stance as is an intervention. That's so wonderful, Helena. All this has been super helpful. And, and, you know, this is certainly one of my favorite parts of EFT because it just Mm -hmm. makes so much more sense, right? That when I understand through seating attachment that their moves suddenly make a lot more sense to me. You know, where we're going makes a whole lot more sense to me, right? And it helps it to them, right? Because we're painting this picture together and yeah. we're feeling colors and, you know, creating this beautiful image of secure connection together. Yeah, you're growing the garden of love together. Yes. <laughs> I know. He's <laughs> out there like, oh, come on, that's cheesy. <laughs> he likes love cheese so (laughs) can't get enough of those cheesy lines (laughs) i think you're referring to what we were talking about before i think in that it's not it's not cheesy if you're staying as close as possible to you know what people the images people have the phrases they use but at the same time you're constantly stretching it that little bit more yes yes now Mm -hmm. helena if folks want to find you, do you maybe offer a training on seating attachment? Not yet. It's embedded in our core skills training. It's embedded in our externship trainings that I run with my colleague Sandra Taylor here in London. Um, it's on YouTube, and now it's on your YouTube channel. <laughs> and um, yes, but I have an article in the works, so that also. But I mean, if you really want to find out more about me, it's just to visit my website, counselingforcouples.co.uk. Four, the number four. So counselingforcouples.co.uk. And my email is helena, H-E-L-E-N-E, at counselingforcouples.co.uk. Perfect. And I'm going to put um, your email and this your website on the description for these videos. So if, if folks, if EFTers maybe want to get in touch with you, they can, they can email you. Can they email you through your site? Yes, they can email me through my site. Yes. And when your article comes out, will they be able to find that on your personal website? Should they go to British EFT? Or? No, because it's going into a journal. Yeah. But you'll share, you'll share it. Yeah, yes. yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So you're with the British EFT Center, right? Yes, that's what is, right. Sorry? What is their website? Beftcenter.org. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me, Annabelle. It was fun chatting to you. It did feel just like a conversation. <laughs> I'm so glad. So glad. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And guys, you know, if you're listening to this, you can go on to the YouTube version of this video and um, have access to Helena's email address and her web address that you can click on through to those links and get right in touch with her. And I'm sure she would, when we're out of coronavirus travel restrictions, she'd love to come to your area and do a master. (laughs) So definitely reach out to her and follow her because she has a very exciting article coming out and we want to make sure we get a chance to read that and check it out and support you. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and so much to our viewers. I just appreciate so much you guys staying tuned and sending your warm and encouraging feedback. And um, I just hope that you guys continue to stay tuned and make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way. <laughs>